The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Good morning. It is certainly good for me to be with you here. Uh, I was sitting there a moment ago and I was thinking to myself, I'm at home. Being with my brethren and being here and uh, getting to enjoy this day, I'm really thankful in a way that I get to go first because when I finish this hour, I'm going to enjoy the rest of the day then. And I'm tickled to be here and to be a part of it. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 is where... We're going to be starting, actually it's where we're going to be centering all of our thoughts this session. Be the man when you are sifted. Well, there's a biblical passage on that, uh, very uh, directly relating to this idea. Read with me in Luke 22, beginning at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. How many times have you read this passage wondering exactly what is the Lord getting at? What's he saying here? Satan hath desired to have you to sift you as wheat. I, I want to know more about that. Well, let's begin by laying this foundation, the five fingers on our hand will stand for five preliminary thoughts that we need to understand in order to appreciate this statement that Jesus gave to Peter and, for that matter, uh, to all of the apostles, in a sense. Number one, notice the repetition of Simon's name. It is significant that Jesus didn't simply say Simon. But instead, he said, Simon, Simon, repeating his name. Now, that indicated a deep emotion. You and I might say an earnestness, a great care for Peter. Simon, Simon. So number one, we see the great emotion that is aback this statement. Number two, we also learn here that Satan had asked permission to, quote, shake up, to shake up all the apostles in order to see what comes out. Now, we have gotten away in large measure, we have gotten away from the agrarian society and the agrarian way of life, for example, that was so common in the first century world. And so to most of us, the idea of sifting wheat, that may not mean a whole lot to us. But in this day, that would have brought to mind a violent, a turbulent shaking of the wheat so as to dislodge the kernel or the grain from the chaff or what we might call the husk and in some degree, even the straw perhaps to whatever extent the straw was included. And so the sifting process was a separating process. And the devil had asked permission. He had to ask permission of God. The devil is not sovereign. He had to ask permission in order to shake up all of the apostles, not just Simon, but to say, shake up all of the apostles to see what would come out. Is it going to be the wheat? Is it going to be the goody, as we sometimes say in the South? 
or is it going to be the chaff? Is it going to be something uh, for refuse, something to be discarded? All right, so that was number two. Satan had to ask permission to shake up all of the apostles. Number three, something else we need to know from this statement Jesus made. And that is Jesus had prayed that this sifting, this shaking up of their lives and particularly of Peter's life would not prove to be Peter's ultimate destruction. Okay? There's going to be a shaking up, but Jesus had prayed that this would not prove to be Peter's ultimate destruction. Number four, something else we need to know about this statement. Peter would have to turn again. The word converted there in verse 32, and when thou art converted, it means to turn again or to return. The idea is Peter will have to repent following this sifting process. In other words, initially, he's going to fail. Initially, he's going to come forth as the straw or the chaff instead of the wheat. And so he's going to have to turn again or to repent. And then finally, number five. Now, this is important in the context of this statement. Peter's return and Peter's renewal could then be used to bring back the other apostles as well. Peter's return could then be used to bring back the other apostles as well. Jesus names Peter, calling his name twice, indicating that great emotion that we've already cited. And yet it's evident that Jesus is saying this apparently in the presence of all the apostles. All of them can hear what Jesus is saying here, and all of them are going to be affected by this sifting process. And yet it's significant that Peter, perhaps we might say, Peter is going to fall the hardest, you might say, and with his return, he's going to be used to bring back the other apostles as well. So five basic ideas that we draw out of those two verses that provide for us an understanding foundation, a foundation of understanding on which we can build the rest of our thoughts. Now that being laid, I want us to look at about four or five major points or major ideas. Some of these will be much shorter than some of the others. First of all, let's talk about Satan's intention. Satan's intention. We know that Satan had to ask permission in order to shake up all of the apostles in order to see what would come out. But we need to understand that Satan wanted to bring out the worst. He wanted to bring out the weakest in the apostles. He wanted this failure, this great, terrible failure to define their lives, to define who those men would be. Now, we can take these very thoughts and we need to apply them to our lives today as Christian and godly men. Satan wants to do the same thing. He wants to bring out the worst and the weakest in us. Let's all look inwardly for a moment. Have you and I, have we done things of which we are ashamed? I can raise my hand. I have. Do we know our own weaknesses? You know, other people look at us. You look at me, Cliff Goodwin, and I don't know, you might be so naive as to think, you know, well, Cliff Goodwin, he's just totally got it all together, man. You know, he's, he's like Teflon. 
That's not true. <laughs> Nobody knows my weaknesses better than I except the Lord himself. Now, all of us, when we look inwardly and we take an honest assessment of our lives and of our weaknesses and of our character, all of us know that we can fail. All of us know that we have failed. And we've all done things of which we are ashamed. Now, let me ask you this question. How would you like for your worst and for your weakest, the worst and the weakest things about you, how would you like for that to be the manner in which you are defined as a person? I don't. I don't want to be defined that way. I don't want to be remembered that way. I don't want to be known that way. But that is the devil's intention. Now, you mark that down. The devil intends to bring out our worst and our weakest, and he wants us to be defined by our failures. And let's build on that number two under the devil's intention. He wants our faith to collapse totally. When, when we fail and when we stumble and when we fall in our own spiritual lives, the devil's intention is he wants that to be a total collapse. He wants that to be final. He wants us to become unfaithful and to be lost eternally. There should never be any question about the devil's intention. Notice that Jesus said there, verse 32, but I have prayed for thee, Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Why would Jesus be praying that? Because Jesus knew well the devil's intention. Jesus knew that that's what the devil was after. That's what the devil wants. He wants Peter's faith to fail completely and for Peter to give up, to give in, and to give out and to be eternally lost. Now make the application. What is Satan's intention for you and me in our lives today? He wants us to give away completely. He wants a total collapse of our faith so as to be lost. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Peter would write, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Friends, that is the devil's intention, number one. Now, point number two, this is probably a head-scratcher for a lot of people. But number two now, we have to ask the question, well, what's God's intention in this? Cliff, if I'm reading the text correctly, and Cliff, if I understood you properly in the introduction, you're saying that the devil had to ask permission to do this. Yes, I believe that's what the Bible's teaching. Well, Cliff, what in the world? Why in the world would God ever give the devil permission to shake up his own apostles in this manner? Tell me that. What could possibly be God's intention? In this matter? Well, that's a great question. And that will serve as our second major point. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize biblically, we should understand from our own experience, but we need to look at it through a biblical lens always that God allows us, period. He does allow us to be sifted. That is, God allows our lives to be shaken up from time to time. He even allows you and me to be completely knocked down, as it were, from time to time. But why? Well, simply put, in order that we might be made better and stronger. It is never God's intention 
that the sifting process or that the trials we endure in this life, it is never God's intention that those be our downfall, that those be our destruction. God wants us to get back up. God's willing to lift us back up. And God intends that we are made better and that we are made stronger following those trials. Let me show you a couple of passages. Turn over with me to the book of John, John chapter 15. And notice what Jesus said here in the parable of the vine and the branches. John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch, verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, now notice this now, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, some translations might read, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You know, some people have the mistaken idea that that if God allows challenges, if God allows trials and temptations into my life, well, that must mean that, that I'm not serving him faithfully. That must mean that I'm not doing right. No, it probably means the exact opposite. Right here in John 15, who's the individual that's purged? Who's the individual that gets pruning? And by the way, if you know anything about pruning, that involves cutting. <laughs> that involves snipping. That's not the most pleasant of ideas to think about something being cut back, something being shaved, something being purged. The vine or the branch rather that receives that care is the one that is bearing fruit. Now, that's God's intention. And you can look at this from the, the devil's perspective. If you're a faithful child of God and you're working in the kingdom and you're active and fruitful, well, who's the devil going to want to go after? He's going to want to go after you. He's going to want to bring you down. He's going to want to cause you to be unfaithful. No doubt about that. But from God's perspective, why in the world would God ever intend this or allow this? Because I can be made better. I can be made stronger through the purging process. Now turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 6 and 7. Peter told his readers, he said, wherein ye greatly rejoice. You're rejoicing in this salvation, verse five, ready to be revealed in the last time. Though now for a season, now you're rejoicing in anticipation of the coming salvation, but now for a season, which indicates its temporary nature, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, manifold, variegated, uh, multiple, if you will. All kinds of trials and temptations have come your way, Peter says, and they bring heaviness. They bring grief. They can even bring sorrow. So why does God allow this? Verse 7. So that the trial of your faith, God's trying and <coughs> testing our faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, so that the trial of our faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Friends, there it is. What is God's intention? God intends that we be purified. 
God intends that if we get knocked down, that we get back up stronger and wiser and better. God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. God's intentions are revealed to an extent in His Word. Now, under this, before we move on to our, our major point for the day, I want us to realize something else further about God. In this whole process, as, as God allows temptation and as God permits challenges and trials, through this whole process, number one, God always provides a way of escape from temptation. Always. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, you and I, we know it well. The fact that God is faithful. He will not suffer. He will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. God is faithful to do that. Now, that's not saying that Cliff Goodwin is going to overcome and resist every temptation. Sometimes I'm going to, I'm going to fail. I'm going to uh, yield or give in, sadly. That's not a good thing, but sometimes that's the reality. But when that happens, you can rest assured of this. It's not God's fault. You hear me? It's not God's fault. God had made a way of escape. And he makes a way of escape for you and me every time. Now, something else under that, if we do fall, if we do fail, God also has provided a means of recovery. And so this is the kind of God that we have overseeing this process. The God who allows and the God who permits challenges and temptations and trials is the God who provides a way of escape. He's a God who provides a means of recovery. John would write in 1 John 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. The heiress there denotes that, that John is wanting his readers to stay away from even single instances of sin. It's, it's not just talking about ongoing perpetual sin. He's saying, I'm writing these things because I want you to stay away completely from sin. I want you to stay away even from the individual instances of sin. He says, but there at the end of verse 1, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's a means of recovery. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, that's some things about our God who is overseeing this whole process of sifting, if you will. He provides the escape. He provides the means of recovery. But now what about our Lord Jesus in this process before we leave this point? Here in our text of the day or of the morning, Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus is the one praying for Peter. Folks, let me tell you this about Jesus. Jesus knows that the temptations are coming and Jesus knows that the failures are coming. You hear me? He knew that in Peter's case. Why wouldn't he know that in your life? Why wouldn't he know that in Cliff's life? He knows that the temptations are coming. He knows that the failures are coming. So what's he doing as our great high priest? Well, according to Romans 8 and verse 34, he lives evermore and he's seated at the Father's right hand 
making intercession for us. Jesus is pleading your case and mine as his children before the throne of God. How great is that? To have a father who provides what he provides, to have a savior who intercedes in the manner that he intercedes. Thank God that as we make our way through this life, and by the way, all this life is is a probationary period. That's all it is. If you live 70, 80, or 100 years, all this is is a probationary period to determine where you will be in eternity, period. That's all this is. But isn't it wonderful that we have that kind of heavenly father and that kind of savior overseeing this process and providing what they provide for us. Now, that's God's intention. Number three, and this is where I want us to spend probably the heart of our thoughts here in this lesson. I wanted us to ask the question. We see how Peter and all of the apostles were sifted. We see what the devil wanted to come out of that. We see what God wants to come out of that. So let's ask this question. Cliff, what makes me more vulnerable when the sifting comes? What makes me more vulnerable when that violent, turbulent shaking up of my life? You know what? It might be an unexpected auto accident. It might be an unwanted medical diagnosis. It might be that woman at work that just will not leave me alone. You hear me? Challenges and temptations and trials, they come in a lot of different ways, brethren. What makes you and me more vulnerable when they come? All right, let's identify some things from our context. Looking back at Luke chapter 22, first of all, I want you to know that worldly thinking, a worldly mindset makes us more vulnerable. All of the apostles apparently, all of the apostles had been expecting what kind of kingdom? An earthly kingdom. And friends, that's not corrected in Luke 22. Believe it or not, that's not even corrected at Calvary. As late as Acts chapter 1, which is after the cross, after the resurrection, right before Pentecost, as late as Acts chapter 1, the apostles are still looking for an earthly kingdom, an earthly worldly kingdom. Acts 1 and verse 6. Now I'm here to tell you that if our way of thinking, if our perspective and our mindset is focused on the material and the temporal, we're going to be more vulnerable to the shaking up that the devil brings because we don't have the proper mindset. So we have to ask ourselves, what matters most to me? Is it this life that matters most to me? Is that what I'm living for? How much I can grab, how much I can get, how much I can hoard up so that I can die and leave it to somebody else? Is that what matters to me or is it the life to come? I have to ask that question because that's going to bespeak my mindset to a large extent. Which life means more? Another question we need to ask along these lines is, do I care most about what God thinks or do I care about what man thinks? In John 12, do you know in John 12 there were priests who knew who Jesus was? They believed on Jesus. John 12 and verse 42, but they would not confess him. How tragic. 
How tragic to come to the realization, this is my Messiah. This is my Savior. This is the answer of all these Old Testament prophecies. Well, man, you need to stand up. No, I'm not saying a word. What? <laughs> they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. John 12, 42 and 43. And if they didn't change that, they're in eternity today lost. Lost. So I ask you one more time. Which means more? This life or the life to come? Who do you want to please? God or do you want to please man? Worldly thinking makes us more vulnerable. Number two, something else that makes us more vulnerable is selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride. Or put another way, putting myself before others. Notice in this context of Luke 22, back up to verse 24, Luke 22, 24. And there was also a strife among them. Them who? Brethren, we're talking about the apostles. We're talking about the chosen ones of Jesus Christ. And they're arguing amongst themselves which of them should be accounted the greatest. So that's the kind of environment after which Jesus turns to Simon and says in the presence of them all, Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You tell me that selfishness and pride doesn't make you more vulnerable when the devil comes knocking. I'm going to tell you that you are ripe for the devil's picking. If we are full of ourselves, if we are full of pride and selfishness, if it's all about me, it's all about number one, I'm most important, I'm on top, I'm going to get my way, you're just right for the devil's pity. That makes us more vulnerable than what we would ever like to consider. Number three, something else that makes us more vulnerable, and that is overconfidence and the resistance to being warned. I grew up in White Plains, Alabama. I grew up knowing what it means when somebody said, talking to him is like talking to a brick wall. I knew what that meant. You know what that means. If you're trying to get something through his head, you're wasting your time. Folks, as Christians, that is not a trait to be admired. When it comes to matters of being warned, you know, when, when we read passages from the Word of God or when somebody else reads to us passages from the Word of God warning us about behaviors in our life and we essentially look at the Scriptures and we look at God and we look at that brother or whomever and we basically say, oh, don't worry about me, I've got this. Do you know who you're acting like, Peter? Can you imagine the audacity? We read verses 31 and 32. Read the next verse, verse 33. And he, Peter, said unto him, Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. You know what Peter said? Lord, it's not, it's not so. Don't, don't worry about me, Lord. I'm right here with you. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to be killed for you. Lord, you don't have to worry about me. Friends, how foolish is that? How foolish is that? That's overconfidence. And it's the resistance to being warned. And once again, you're ripe for the picking. When the devil comes knocking in your life, 
You just expect to fall. You just expect to be a collapse and to be a failure because you, nobody can tell you anything. Nobody could warn you. You knew better, I guess. You knew better than the Word of God. You knew better than the preacher. You knew better than the elders. You knew better than your brethren. You, you just knew better, I guess. And you're ripe for the picking. How sad. Number four, something else that makes us more vulnerable when the devil comes knocking, and that is relying on the wrong kind of strength. Relying on the wrong kind of strength. I'm glad we have men's days. Okay, this, this is a day for men. But I'm here to tell you the biblical definition of what makes a man is so much more than just some burly rascal who thinks he can fight at the drop of a hat and, and hold his own. Amen. Biblically, there's a whole lot more to manhood than that. You know what Peter had on this occasion? Peter had a sword. You know what Peter wasn't when the, when the arresting mob came? He wasn't scared, apparently. Because Peter drew that sword. Move down with me here in Luke 22 to verse 49. Luke 22, 49. And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them, we later find out it's Peter, one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Folks, by, by the world's definition, you know how Peter acted? By the world's definition, Peter acted like a man. In God's eyes, you know what Peter's doing? Peter's failing. He's failing. This same Peter that can draw the sword, later that night's going to say three different times, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And he even curses and, and, and uses swear words. Can you imagine that? What was Peter's problem? He was relying on the wrong kind of strength. And that makes you vulnerable when the devil comes knocking. But then something else in this context we don't need to overlook. And this is one thing right here. This is one thing really over which we don't have any control. And that's kind of scary to me. But something else that makes us more vulnerable when the devil comes to shake up our lives are the effects and the influence of an unfaithful brother. Can you police your brethren? Let me answer that for you. No, you cannot. Can you control what your brothers and sisters do around you? No, you cannot. Now, the Bible gives us certain reactions. The Bible tells us certain measures to take in reaction to what they do. But you and I, we cannot control it. And here in this context, if you back up to verses 21 through 23, what's really going to turn the apostles on their heels, so to speak, what's going to turn their world upside down this very night will be the effects of one unfaithful brother. His name is Judas Iscariot. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Well, Jesus, Judas Iscariot knew who it was. He knew it was he. And because of his actions leading up to this night and, 
and his betrayal, it's about to turn the whole world upside down for the rest of these men. So that can make you and me more vulnerable. And what's scary is, again, you can't stop that. You can't control that. But what you can control is how you react when it comes. How you react when it comes. All right, here's the great lesson, number four. We've talked about Satan's intention. We've talked about God's intention. We've talked about some items, five in all, that makes us more vulnerable when the devil comes knocking. Number four, now here's the great lesson. The great lesson from this text be the man when you are sifted is this. A spiritual failure does not have to mean your destruction. That's the great lesson. How grateful we are that the Peter of this dark night is not the Peter of Pentecost. And that's the lesson. I don't know if any of you, I hope none of us would ever three times in the span of an evening would be directly asked, you know Jesus in this? No, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't think any of us, I hope none of us would do that. And yet Peter did that. And yet it's the same Peter in Acts 2. He wasn't defined by his failures. And that's the great lesson of this. We serve the God of the second chance, brethren. Embrace that. Be thankful for that. The whole parable of the prodigal son is in there for a reason. He, he, he went further away. He, 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 he stayed longer. He, he sinned against his own father and his own household, his own family. But when he decided to come back, his father was wanting him back. We serve the God of the second chance. But as we elaborate on this point, the great lesson there comes a time when you and I must deliberately change our will. When we stumble, when we fall, when we collapse and when we let the Lord down, we let our families down, we let the church down, when those failures come, God's not just going to, to, to wave his hand, as it were, and just fix all of it without any decision on your part. We, we have to come back to a, a deliberate change of the will. There has to be an humbling of ourselves. You know what? I heard somebody say this 25 years ago in preaching school, I think. And they were talking about the methods. And that's all it is, a question of method is, you know, when somebody responds to the invitation, is it good for them just to have given a note to somebody beforehand and, and you read it? Or, or, or is it, it better for them to walk down the aisles when the invitation is sung? And of course, you and I know what's better is for them to respond, period. I don't care if they give you a note. I don't care if they walk down the aisles. But this person had a unique perspective. It was a lady. She said this. She said, I think it's good for people to walk down the aisles. She said, because it's humbling. I'm here to tell you this. We as brethren, we're not interested in a pound of flesh. I don't want a pound of flesh just because you've messed up. I just want you to come back. I love you. This week, it's you. Next week, it could very well be me, okay? But every single time, if we're going to come back, we're going to have to humble ourselves before God and before the church. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not willing to repent. That's not a penitent heart. If we're still so full of ourselves that we will not humble ourselves and repent. And so really the question is asked, which will we choose to be? 
the weight or the straw. The wheat or the chaff. I, I want to challenge you. Be the man when you are sifted. Because it's coming. Jesus knows it's coming. He knows the temptations are coming. And he knows that the failures are coming. And so when Satan comes knocking and, and he shakes up your whole world. He shakes up your whole life. And especially in those times when you crumble and you make mistakes and you sin. Be the man. Be the man. Humble yourself. Turn back to God in penitence and let God forgive you and learn. Learn from those mistakes never to be repeated again. Be the man. I love you.